Hey Chili's, I hope you're having a great week. It is still swelteringly hot. I don't even know if swelteringly is a word, but it is so hot in Philly right now. Um, as you know, I got a puppy. She's wonderful. Uh, she is coming up to me right now because she heard her name and she's kind of like uh, Bloody Mary and that if you say her name, she just appears. <laughs> but I do love her and I hope you're all having a great beginning of fall. <laughs> at least that I consider it a beginning of fall. Yeah. And pumpkin is back at Starbucks. So all is right in the world. Um, but other than that, yeah, I hope you're having a great week. Our guest today is really awesome. His name is Nick Kaufman and he is an author of horror fiction. He's His work has been nominated for the Bram Stoker Award, the Shirley Jackson Award, and the International Thriller Writers Award. And he's just a fun, cool guy. So I really think you're going to enjoy this episode. Give it a listen. You're listening to Real Chills with Meg Getz. Real scary, real silly, real stories. Hey everybody, welcome to Real Chills. I'm so excited. Today our guest is Nicholas Kaufman. Nicholas, how are you? Hey Meg, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm psyched. Heck. Yeah, I'm psyched. I'm so excited that you reached out. It's going to be so much fun. Um, so we always start with the same question for our guests, and that is when it comes to the paranormal, are you more of a true believer or a skeptic? Oh, gosh. You'd think that would be an easy question. It's <laughs> hard. It's, actually, it's really hard. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. I'm a writer, and I like to write about paranormal-type things. I like movies that have paranormal type things in them. I like reading books with, with that kind of stuff. But in real life, I just don't know. There's never, I've never seen any evidence of ghosts. Uh, nobody has captured Bigfoot. Right. Um, yes. A UFO hasn't landed. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Every day we get um, closer, I think. Not to, not to be too tangential here, but did you hear that there's this whole thing going on at Loch Ness right now? Oh, I did hear about that. I wish I could go. They're like they're having like the world's like largest hunt for for Nessie. Yes, and they have a there's like dozens of people there with high tech equipment. There are drones. There's like infrared cameras looking through the water. So um, awesome. <laughs> there's probably just some like old grizzled man just throwing chunks of meat and <laughs> waiting to see what happens. Um, but uh, it's really exciting. I'm I'm looking forward to to uh, I like. There's a part of me that wants them to find something, and that's why this is such a hard question to answer, uh, mm -hmm. because I don't believe in paranormal stuff. But I guess, <laughs> but um, right. but I want them to find Nessie. I want mm -hmm. them to find Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. You know, I I I'd be scared if a ghost showed up, but I'd also think this is cool. <laughs> <You know>? like, <laughs> this is cool. For this sure. means this means. Um, that ghosts are real and if ghosts are real then i guess anything can be real yeah totally it's really funny because i feel like the paranormal is a lot like it's a lot of like thrill seeking behavior too because like i've had like i've had some experiences and um more so recently i've noticed anytime something does start to happen i'm not as open to it as i thought it like i'm like no actually that was enough I don't need to. Yeah, see no, absolutely, anymore. absolutely. You if know a ghost I mean? starts to manifest in front of me, I'd be like, "That's okay." Got it. Noted. <laughs> That's all right. All right. 
I believe. I believe. You can stop. <laughs> yeah, you can stop now. <laughs> Go back wherever. Yeah. Um, but it's funny. There is sort of that that thrill-seeking thing because I think the people who are gathered at Loch Ness right now are not that different from people who chase storms. Yeah. You know, they're obsessed Definitely. with this and they're it's their it's their driving force in their life. Yeah. And it's a cool, it's just a cool place to make friends too. Like it's fun to like have a weird niche and then go find a bunch of people who also love that niche with you. Like the paranormal community is so good for that. I was gonna say, I think that's why you started this podcast, right? Yeah, to that's find, exactly. find other people who who are also love talking about this stuff. And it's been so cool. And it's been just like even for my life, like if I'm bored, like I have a, a hat that I wear around in the public and it just says Bigfoot is real. And <laughs> it just, it encourages people to talk about the things I want to talk about instead of like something boring or, you know, the weather or something. They're like, tell me more about Bigfoot. And I'm like, All right, have that a sounds seat. like a definite conversation piece, but does Let's anyone do ever it. come up to you? Like, like, no, Bigfoot's not real. Like, like it's very important to them to point out that Bigfoot is not real. No, so I have had like like distant family members kind of like scoff, like kind of judge me a little bit, but mostly strangers are like, I need to tell you something right now. <laughs> I have something important we should talk about. I don't like they have a story you. from when they went camping in the Pacific Northwest or exactly, something, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's why I wear the hat because it works out perfectly. <laughs> so this is great. So um what do you think got you into the paranormal? Was there like a moment or a person in your life that kind of made you excited about it? It wasn't a moment or a person. It was um, it was my interest in things that I enjoyed watching as a child on television. Oh, got it. Uh, I was I was drawn to monster movies. Um, I loved you know I, I grew up um, in the I was I was young in the seventies. Uh, I was single digits in the seventies, uh, but. Um, television was very different back then there were only three channels there were only a few hours of original programming on right, each channel right and so what they would often do is fill time with just showing old movies and so i got to see things like creature from the black lagoon and Dra and dracula and frankenstein awesome. and all those great stuff and plus some really schlocky stuff that they probably just you know got in some bargain basement sale from some some studio somewhere uh and that really lit a fire uh under my imagination Sure. And so uh, that's um, that. And then I sort of uh, I just kept I, I became what, what uh, Forrest Ackerman called a monster kid, which is just like okay. anything, anything that's a monster, anything that's weird or different or not human uh, is is something that I'm interested in. And um, I had a I remember I had a, a bag of pla and literally it was a bag of plastic dinosaurs. And my mother tells the story that uh, the scarier the dinosaur, the better. Like, like it was just like That's it was just a, like tame looking dinosaur or something. I didn't play with it, but if it had lots of spikes and looked big teeth or whatever, I would love it. Um, so I think that's uh, that's that was my entryway into it. And you know, as I as I grew older, my tastes became. I was going to say more sophisticated, but I think I think, I think that may not be true. I think my taste just became a little bit, maybe a little bit more refined. Um, uh, but I still love, uh, you know, watching horror movies, reading horror books and stuff like that. And I have a few that are like, you know, true ghost stories of of the of the Northwest or true ghost stories of, of Canada or whatever. But I never really quite believe that they're true. You know, I, I think they're. That's they're interesting. Like, yeah, I think you, they're more like folklore, like they're just a stories that get passed mm -hmm. down and people start to think they're true because they've heard it before. 
but I just don't know. So I guess, yeah, I guess I am to, to circle back to your first question. I'm, I'm a skeptic. You're a little bit skeptical. Yeah. That's yeah. so interesting. Cause I feel like I've had, it's had the opposite of like this podcast has had the opposite effect on me because so many people that I know and trust have had experiences they can't explain. So it might not be a ghost. I like to think it's ghosts, but like something's yeah. happening, something. And like, I've also had people where, when I wear my Bigfoot hat or someone finds out about the podcast <laughs> that they want to tell me their story, but they refuse to go on the podcast about it. Yeah. Cause they're like, and that's like the most believable when they're like, listen, like, no, <laughs> I don't want anything. I don't want you to tell anyone. I just want really? you to what, listen. Are they afraid? Bigfoot is listening to your podcast no. and we'll come after them. <laughs> is making a list. No, um, they're more afraid that people will will kind of doubt them or not believe oh, yeah. them or think yeah. that they're crazy or kooky or and it's just like, yeah, I could see that. But well, the good thing yeah. with our listeners is that's not the case. Not no one listening to this podcast is a doubter. You know. <laughs> okay, good. Then yeah. that's good. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I do think I, I whether or not I believe in ghosts. I mean, I don't know. I think. It, if it's late at night and I'm alone and I hear a noise, I believe in ghosts, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. But, you That's know, in, so in the bright light of day, maybe not. But I do believe that there is energy that people can give off and maybe that that energy can linger after a person is gone. Um, sure. Rather than necessarily the, you know, the old classic idea of a ghost that is the the person's actual spirit that right. you can sort of have a conversation with or they tell you where they left the buried treasure or whatever, you know? Oh. I'm more inclined to believe that than than the other way. Definitely. So and you so you love monsters. Also, I'm all about that. I love special effects, especially like old special effects where you're like, that's definitely spaghetti. Like that's my favorite type. Absolutely. Like, um, love it. I love the, um, the stop motion and you know yeah. Ray Harryhausen stuff. It's all great. Definitely. <laughs> but I feel like I don't know any current monster movies that have really like done it. Like, is there any current I would say I'm I'm gonna age myself here. I'm gonna say like two thousands and above, like monster movie that like you could compare to I mean, uh there's been some really great psychological horror movies that have come out since the two thousands, but monster movies I'm not sure. Um yeah. part of the reason for that is because so many of the monsters are no longer practical effects, but they're CGI. Mm. And that makes them all sort of look the same. Mm. They're all sort of gray and they all have a big mouth full of teeth or whatever. And it's it's, it's I don't want to say it lacks imagination because I know that designers actually do work on these things. Really but, hard, yeah. But it just doesn't it doesn't excite me the same way as as you know, I I, I grew up watching Godzilla movies, like the old right. Godzilla God, movies yeah. from the from you know the 50s through the 70s uh and um they're incredible there's so much mm -hmm. there's great creature design i love the fact that it's just people in rubber suits like that just is so magical <laughs> it to adds me adds something to it it's so fun it, it really does yeah. and and uh i haven't felt that way in a long time yeah yeah there's something weird and nostalgic because like even with like I remember going to Disney and seeing like the Indiana Jones set. Does that make sense? Was Indiana Jones Disney? I don't know. There was something similar to it and you could see like how things move. And then like, even now, if I watch a new movie and I can tell it's a set, like an actual like moving action set, I'm like, that's so much cooler to me. Yeah. I know it's expensive, but I'm just like, this rules. This is you know, um... magic. <laughs> I, I'm sorry if we're getting off topic here, but I, I I love talking about horror movies. So oh, for sure, it's it's in the bucket. It counts. Um, I I'm also a big fan of of the horror movies that came out of England under Hammer Studios, mm -hmm. 
um, the Christopher Lee Dracula movies and stuff like that. And they were always shot on sets, even if they were doing like what should be locations, right? So they would have clearly fake forests that, that awesome. like they were riding on a horse <laughs> through and stuff. And I just loved it. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's part of it. It's, it's because it's imagination and it's imagination is, is really exciting and inspiring. Yeah. And for me, it feels like indie. Like it feels very like this is me, my individual project, my like, instead of, I don't know, for, I, n- again, not to insult CGR, CGI artists or anything, but it feels more corporate when it it's like big money when you're on, right. you know, so whatever. Right. Either so one, somebody, I watch all of them. You know? Somebody got paid like $40,000 to make this thing or, or probably more than that to make this thing on their computer. But somebody made one that's even cooler out of rubber for less money for less money 20 years, yeah. 30 years ago that's what's so cool yeah yeah that's that's it right there <laughs> <laughs> mic drop <laughs> yeah we are done we, we figured it out <laughs> um but we do on this podcast talk more so about paranormal experiences and you mentioned you have like a really cool one do you want to um get into that yeah the now you've made me nervous that people will <laughs> People no, won't no. believe me. They but, are uh, going to believe you for sure. Uh, so this isn't a story about like a ghost sighting or Bigfoot or um, a UFO or anything like that. This is more a story about uh, when I messed with forces I shouldn't have. I love it. So this was, I was a senior in high school. So this must have been 1986 or 87. Um, and there was a store here in New York City called the magical child and it was a magic store but not like a magic trick store it was a witchcraft store so it had it had everything from like you know ouija boards and and incense to like amulets and spell books like it was it was for real um so (laughs) i was you know i was a teenager at the end of my high school time and i think like many people of that age um, I must have been 16, 17, somewhere around there. I was not feeling very much in control of my life. And I think I wanted some sense of control. And the idea that there was a store that had spell books with supposedly real magic in them was exciting to me because that was something I could do For that sure. was like some form of control over my and life. Powerful, right? not just control, yeah. like powerful. It is. Yeah. It's, it's a powerful idea, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I was... I don't know what it was in my mind. Like, what am I going to, am I going to turn people into frogs? Like, what am I going to do? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know, but I wanted to check it out. Mm -hmm. So I went and I, I went to the store and I got a spell book. Um, So. Do you remember the title? I do. Uh, So um, this is a bit of a, a bit of a tangent, but uh, the writer HP Lovecraft had created this fake book called the Necronomicon. And -hmm. at some point in the seventies, Avon Books put out a book called The Necronomicon by Simon, uh, whoever Simon was, uh, pretending that this was like the actual Necronomicon from like the horror stories of H.P. Lovecraft. And so um, I got that and I got something called The Necronomicon Workbook (laughs) to go along with it. (laughs) So I did, uh, I brought it home, I lit some incense. Um, which made my mother think I was smoking pot in my room, but actually I was just doing black magic. So don't worry about it, mom. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I did some rituals out of it. And one of the rituals I did out of it um, had had to do with something called 
is it an ending? So, so I can't remember the word now, but it's a water spirit. And undine, undine with a U. Undine. And I'm like, I'm a Pisces. Why, so water spirit <laughs> makes total sense. Like, why don't I try and contact Obviously. these water spirits? Heck yeah. Uh, so I do the ritual. Nothing happens. I don't know what I was, you know, expecting to happen with some sort of ghostly fish appear to me mm. or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, but th this was summer and I had a summer job at the Argosy Bookstore, which is a well-known antique bookstore mm. in Midtown Manhattan. And one of my jobs there was just to answer the phone. So one day, I'm, shortly after this, I'm there, I'm answering, and, you know, the phone rings. And a voice on the other side, when I when I answer, I say, hello, Argosy, whatever. The voice on the other end says, do you have any books on undines? And I'm sure I misheard, because that's Whoa. just, that would just be ridiculous. And I said, and I, I said, what? He said, undines. And I was just like, no, I don't. Sorry, goodbye. Like, I just... I, I just hung up the phone. So, no. um, wow. Right. So I was just like, that's super weird, but it could be a coincidence. And yet it's just super weird. It's, it's a little too much of a coincidence to be one, but that's not where the story ends. Um, I, I did other rituals out of the book, but with sort of a wary eye on them after that. <clears throat> and then one night, okay, let me set the scene. So this is a, a, a my bedroom in, in the late mid to late eighties. Uh, we didn't have cell phones back then, obviously, so we had to have alarm clocks to wake us up. <laughs> well, my alarm clock was a radio alarm clock, so I didn't just wake up to a buzzer. I woke up to like the classic rock station or top 40 station or whatever I was listening to that particular week. But uh, so I'm fast asleep one night. The radio turns itself on, and my on my radio alarm clock. And it's a song I've never heard before. And I'll never forget this. The lyric that was being sung, sung at that time was, it's in your soul. When the sports world was introduced to two new team names within a week, comedian Dave Primiano told his friend and fellow comedian Dan Getz, we should do a limited series podcast where we rank all the team names in sports. And they did just that. And after they were done, they decided, hey, let's just keep ranking stuff. Thus was born the Rank Bank, where each week they are joined by a panel of experts, aka fellow comedians, to rank all things ranging from the unimportant to the really unimportant. New episodes drop on Mondays and sometimes Tuesday if it's a two-parter. Be sure to follow them on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore rank underscore bank. Turned no. off the radio, got up, and destroyed the book. Like this is, <laughs> this is the only. Her? I know this is the Did only time it? I've ever burned a book in my life. Wow! But I tore pages out of the out of the book, set them on fire, and flushed them down the toilet. <laughs> oh so now I guess these undines are just <laughs> living in are the are New York around. sewer system somewhere. <laughs> Where they probably would like to be, you know? <laughs> yeah, maybe they're having spirit. a good time down there with the crocodiles yeah. and the rats. Uh, and the... But nothing happened after that. So I think I think I caught it in the nick of time. But I do feel like this was me messing with something I shouldn't have. The, I think the spell book itself was probably just something some guy made Silly, up and then yeah. sold. But somehow through these rituals, I think I touched something. Oh, and it was yeah. super well, weird. 
Yeah. So it's, I mean, even, you know, like Ouija boards and stuff, they're, they're sold by toy stores. They're not actually like yeah. blessed or consecrated or anything like that. It definitely is like energy and intention. That's what like a lot of witches will talk about. So like, mm-hmm. even if it's, even if you like write the alphabet, like on a piece of paper, if you like put an intention towards it, especially if you're doing like in set, like set in the mood and like really going for it, then I definitely, definitely believe that you could have called out to something. Something, um, I wish, yeah. yeah, and I don't know, I mean, you know, going into more like ghost hunting, like people are sometimes suspicious of the things reaching out. Cause like, if you're, you know, calling your grandma, sometimes like a jerk demon will be like, oh, I'm your grandma just to like upset yeah. you, you know? Yeah. And I always um, hated so- you. <laughs> you're yeah. a terrible grandchild. <laughs> and I'm miserable. And yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, your grandpa cheated on me, you know, all the, all the most painful things. Um, but yeah, so it's just, it's just so interesting. Just the synchronicity of that phone call. This is the phone um, call and the, and the, the radio, radio turning itself on in the middle of the night to a song I've never heard before or since with such a loaded lyric. Uh, it was definitely like, uh, if I continued to use this spell book who knows what would have happened um either you should i think you should no thank you (laughs) it's like we were talking about before you know if a ghost manifests in front of you you're like no thanks no thanks yeah it's exactly that we're like oh i was asking for this but i i don't think i realized i was using this spell book to contact these spirits and they said they were there and i was like no thank you no thank you wow yeah that's really cool though and i really love the idea of like a spell workbook because i've never seen that before <laughs> like a little spell diary you can like put all your feelings in that's amazing like it's yeah yeah uh well if you have any uh witches or wiccans i guess i should say uh of a certain age from the new york city area who listen to this they may remember the magical child oh it they def- on, yeah definitely it was on 19th street in manhattan and it was it was magical one of those child like you know wiccan wiccan plus stores did you ever go back and like tell anyone what you experienced no no i was very uh embarrassed and, and probably scared at the time to do that but i did go back to the store but i just i didn't get any more crazy books and then <laughs> just stuck to like the crystals that's what i do when i, I, did, go to I did get stores. crystals and i did get medallions and i got <laughs> i got this weird ring that had like the horned man on it with like big antlers like what was i thinking am i gonna wear that to high school like what <laughs> I, I don't know uh but i think i just enjoyed the idea of real magic and and sort of wanted it to be true but what's fun is you kind of got this like little like taste of it actually being true yeah like it's not like you did and it i didn't and like it nothing happened yeah you're <laughs> like okay magic's not for me you might i got a taste of it and i didn't like it yeah if, it's, if one ritual works it's like know? it's like when you have a dog that's like give me a piece of that give me a piece of that give me a piece of that and you finally give them a piece of whatever you're eating and they're like nope i don't like they're it like i don't like spinach yeah like why did you do this yeah. yeah yeah i used to do that my dog would do that with grapes all the time and then she would just hold it for like five minutes anyway that's not scary <laughs> i would just be like why <laughs> Now we're in this thing, you know, um, but that's, that's really cool. Cause I feel like a lot of the times, like I know a lot of people who do spells and it's not often that it works out. Like I, a part of me thinks that it's because you were like an angsty teen. Like you had so much more energy yeah, than definitely. you even could think about, you know what I mean? Cause like, oh gosh, being a teenager, like your energy is so like 
I mean, at least I'm just thinking about me as a teen, you know, like I was mm. also very like moody and whatever. And it's just like, oh, sure. It's so much more powerful. Like, that's what they think poltergeists are a lot of the times is like the first thing they'll ask you is like, do you have like a teen <laughs> in your house? Because sometimes it's just their energy <laughs> is just like on a different frequency. So. Well, I think I was such an unhappy teen uh, looking for some semblance of control uh, or right. power uh, that that must have really been um exciting to the spirits i guess they were oh, like yeah. oh well this is you know he's he really wants this so let's let's do it and then of course i was like no thanks yeah and i think like that's ingrateful <laughs> never <laughs> mind yeah but that's the other thing some people think like there's spirits like good or bad like a lot of the times like spirits like don't have shouldn't have a label good or evil they kind of like follow your vibe you know mm -hmm. what I mean? But they mm -hmm. do, they are attracted to energy. And it, I always feel funny, like telling, I talk about this, like ghost rules, because I know it's all like unproven. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm telling you this thing, but it, it's not like a scientific fact, but in the community, it is a thought that they're attracted to higher, higher energy people. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I was given off some kind of vibe, I guess. Jeez. <laughs> But that's Undines. my story. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not as exciting, maybe, as seeing a, a ghost or a Bigfoot. But no, I love it. And what's really interesting, I want to look up what undines are because I, you know, I've been doing this pod, this podcast for a long time, and I don't think I've ever heard of those before. Okay, I think it's spelled U N D I N E. They're Ooh, water spirits. Okay, yeah. So found it. Um, an undine. It's also can be spelled with an O. It's a mythological figure of okay. European tradition, according to PubMed. <laughs> I want to give the reference. <laughs> so, a water nymph or sprite who could become a human only when she fell in love with a mortal man. However, if the mortal was unfaithful to oh. her, he was destined to forfeit his life. Well, I could have had a spirit you girlfriend. Could? You were calling a girlfriend 16. without realizing it. That's I amazing. was, and then right, and then she was like, "Hey, what's up?" And yeah, I was like, "Ah, never back mind." And you ghosted her. You. I, I ghosted her. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, you got out of there in the right time. I'm glad you didn't start dating that spirit. That would have been. Right. yeah how do you bring how do you bring a water spirit like, like home for thanksgiving it's just for you i don't think you need it more <laughs> but thank you that story is really cool no it was yeah it's and it's oh, just thanks. interesting the stuff we can do i don't know it's like so interesting um but i'm excited to have you on the cast too do you want to get into a little bit of like your books or um you know your biography okay sure happy to what do you want to know i'll tell you anything um, why don't you um, tell us about your writings and how you got into it in the first place? Well, um, I think I always uh, had sort of a creative gene in me. Um, when I was a kid, I, you know, I mentioned earlier that I loved horror movies and monster movies and dinosaur toys. Um, so my goal as a child was to grow up and make Godzilla movies. Oh, not cool. not to be a filmmaker for but specifically <laughs> Godzilla movie. Okay, just Godzilla. Um and I think I sort of at some point probably in my teens um no, actually no, I started writing much earlier than that as I recall. I would I was not a good student. I would space out in class uh and I would just start writing these little stories. Um even as early as 4th or 5th grade. 
Wow. I would start writing these stories in in, uh, in class about um, a boy and his father who are taken off to this faraway planet uh, where there are monsters and dinosaurs and whatnot and the adventures they would have. Obviously, I had some issues getting my dad's attention and I think <laughs> I think it came through in the story. Uh, and I remember one time, I think this was fifth grade, I was again, not being a great student, not paying attention, writing a story instead in my notebook. Uh, and this one was about a kid who goes into a crypt and witnesses, uh, you know, creature coming, you know, a, a dead body or whatever coming out of a, a grave. And the teacher caught me. Mm. And for some reason, she tried to humiliate me by reading the story out loud to the class but the class loved it. That's awesome. <laughs> the that class so was like, awesome. the class was really into it. So that backfired for her and fed my- And was so good for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it really was. So yeah. I, I started writing all the time. And if I didn't have an idea, I would transcribe stories out of like horror comics. Like I just kept, I had like my dad's electric typewriter and I just, I just kept going until probably about probably I think I was in my 30s when I made my first professional sale but I was always writing up until then that's awesome and just between you and me and whoever's listening sometimes it was more fun when I didn't care oh, what I was writing <laughs> you oh, know what I mean like once once you know the rules mm -hmm. once you know the rules and are trying to make professional sales and stuff a little bit of the fun goes away yeah I understand that. <laughs> but, but I stuck with I stuck with uh, monsters and horror and mm -hmm. stuff like that, even into my professional career. Uh, my first, I think my very first published story was in the year 2000. Uh, and it was about, uh, it took place in like the 1920s. And it was about somebody who has a weird neighbor who moves in. And there was all this like mystical hubbub. Um, but I just, I just love that kind of stuff. So it always stuck with me. That's awesome. So it sounds like, cause my next question was going to be like, why specifically horror writing? But it sounds like mm -hmm. you were just, it's, this is just in your DNA. Like since you were a little it's, kid. It is, you know, um, it doesn't, it doesn't actually come from my family. Like my, my mother and father and my brother, they never were, were really into horror movies or, or books. So my brother was reading Stephen King. Mm. So I think for me, it was just an escape into imagination. And that's that's the kind of imagination that that appealed to me was, you know, weird monsters and stuff. So most of my books uh, and stories, though they don't all have monsters in them, but they're all of the horror or suspense genre. I had two books come out from St. Martin's in uh, the early to mid 2010s that were technically urban fantasies, but that okay. was just because I wanted to put monsters in New York City. <laughs> And I had, okay. <laughs> and I had sure. to like have an excuse for like, you know, monsters roaming New York City. That's cool. Are they like, <laughs> are they so <laughs> I'm picturing them like furries, like they're just like living in the city or are they like terrorizing the city? <laughs> <laughs> well, they're doing their best. Well, uh, they're doing their best to fit in. Okay. Okay. Um, no spoilers. I was there's just... a whole underworld, like literally a city beneath New York City where where things are more a little more free for the monster people. I love that. Um but uh, there's also an idea in the book that if you were to see a monster while you were walking down a street, um, you wouldn't necessarily know it was a monster. Like your your brain wouldn't be able to to uh, translate what it was what you were seeing as a monster, and you might just see it as a person in a trench coat instead of a person with wings or something like oh, that. That's really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. That's fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that because then it's like, what if 
for some reason you can see them anyway anyway yeah i love it so which this might be hard because as a comedian if someone asks me like what my favorite joke is i'm like oh man i hope you have time <laughs> we have a lot to talk about um but of your books of your writings which is your favorite and why oh my god that really is a tough question yeah. that's like it's like choosing children i know they're your or, babies uh, <laughs> they are there are some that I think came out better than others. I would hesitate to call anything a favorite, but I think there are some that that uh, that are better than others, I guess. Uh, so like um, I had a book come out in 2013 called The Hungry Earth, that which is it's is more cool. of a it's more of a um, science thriller than a horror book. But because it's from me, there's there's certainly a lot of horror in it, mm-hmm. uh, including body horror and stuff. Uh, and I think. I think it's it's some of my some of my better work. So I, I'm going to say that. But if you were to ask me again in half an hour or tomorrow or something, I'd probably pick a different book. Sure. Yeah. And what is the premise of The Hungry Earth? The Hungry Earth follows a uh, medical examiner in a small fictional Hudson Valley city called Sacama, where she she uh, winds up with a body on her autopsy table of a teenager. And they think maybe this teenager committed suicide or maybe this teenager was on drugs they don't know so she's doing an autopsy to find out she opens up the body and inside she finds this strange substance that she can't identify and so she has to call upon the expertise of her unfortunately her ex-boyfriend to come and help her (laughs) uh, identify this and he says that this is actually a very uh rare kind of fungus that's inside her and so as the story progresses more and more people are sort of being taken over by this fungus these fungal spores that are in town and so it's it's basically it's about this mutant fungus that's taking over the city Oof, and it's that. sort of but it's <laughs> it's ba- well it's based on it's based on real science that's the fun thing there's about this book and about its sequel the stone serpent they're both based on real science mm-hmm. so i was really pulling from a real fungus that has a relationship with uh, leaf cutter ants in, in the South bugs. American jungle. So there are these leaf cutter ants that basically they don't they don't eat the leaves that they they cut. They actually feed on on leaf sap, but they bring the leaves back to their nests to give to this fungus that lives in the middle of their nest. And the whole thing is set up sort of like the fungus is their god and they're worshiping it and they're giving it these these leaves to eat. And mm-hmm. they're so in tune with the fungus that they can actually tell when the fungus doesn't like a particular kind of leaf and they'll strike it from the menu. Oh and they'll my wa- God. They'll walk an extra mile through the jungle to get a different kind of leaf. So like scientists call that uh, ant fungal mutualism, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure what the ants are getting out of it, but the fungus is like, this rules. <laughs> it seems like it's being worshiped like yeah. a God. So that that's what really sparked my imagination for this novel. What if instead of ants, it's people. So we have sort of this mutant fungus that's not, that's taking over people through the, through its spores and sort of making them worship it and feed it I, and and help it spread i love that because there's so many dilemmas with that like i don't know just the thought of like are you still you like if you're you right. have this so anyway i love that that's so cool and just na- i like Thank nature you. and i don't know small town drama with exes is always fun <laughs> yes yes well that oh. was part of the fun was to make i wanted it to be a small town because i wanted this medical examiner, Laura, to know everyone in town. And so to really be able to that see the changes in their personality. That's really cool. Is this the book that you would recommend if someone wanted to get started on your catalog? 
Is this the one you think yes. they should do uh, first? I would definitely recommend The Hungry Earth. Uh, but if they're more into like straight up horror, as opposed to this sort of science thriller type horror, uh, maybe my book 100 Fathoms Below, which is Yes! About... I'm sorry, yeah. I said it wrong before recording. <laughs> this one sounds so cool, though. Okay, definitely. Thank you. Like yeah, that's one. the one that's... Okay, so... Uh, if you don't mind, I'm the... sorry. I, I know you no, didn't no, come no, on just to give my... Like, <laughs> I'm happy to listen. <laughs> I'm 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 happy to always find uh hopefully find new audiences. Mm -hmm. But so this one is about a uh an American nuclear submarine in the 1980s that has on is on a secret mission into Soviet waters. But there is something on board that's picking off the sailors one by one. And that was a great deal of fun to write too because I got to, I got to do a lot of research on what it's like to live and work on a submarine. And let me tell you I don't think I could do it. That's so awesome. It's, Have you ever it's visited so claustrophobic. a submarine? I'm sorry? Oh, I didn't mean to cut you off. That's my fault. That's okay. Have you ever visited like a sub? Because I know there's one in Philly that you can go and like walk around and tour. Did you do that? There's a very small submarine that you can go on that's in the, on the same pier as uh, the USS Intrepid, which is a big warship uh, that you can go on here in New York. Um, and it, it, this one was even tinier, though. This was a very small one. Uh, the one in the book is uh, holds about 120 people, but it's so like it's maybe it's not even the size of a football field. Like it's it's so small, and I I just I don't even suffer from claustrophobia, but I know that I couldn't do it. It's already making me feel things <laughs> like I it's hate so, it. Yeah, I it's hate so it. weird, yeah. and it's, it must just smell too. Like yeah. I know that there are sh there are certainly showers and stuff on a submarine, but like so uh, there are 120 people but there are not 120 beds. So you share your bed with two other sailors uh, in shifts. The days are broken down into 18 hours rather than 24 because you don't need 24 if you're not seeing the sun, right? right? right you're not seeing yeah. the sun, you're not seeing There's the sky. No so night. there are three six-hour shifts, like six hours of sleep, six hours at work, and six hours studying, doing laundry, whatever it is. Um, so you get your bunk for or I guess it's called a rack, actually. You get your rack for six hours. Then somebody else gets that same rack for six hours. Then a third person gets that same rack for the next six hours. Like, you know, I hope they, you know, take their socks off or, yeah. or whatever. Like, like, it must just stink I in there. I hate that. Yeah. That's, and you're not even talking about the thing that's that's capturing people. This is just the, no, right. the horrors <laughs> of living on a submarine. Yeah, I can't even imagine. I would be... <laughs> I wrote that Crazy. one with a guy named Stephen L. Kent, who's also really into naval stuff. So we wanted to make sure we got all of the submarine stuff correct. Because if we're going to introduce this sort of right. supernatural element, everything else has to be just really, really, we have to really nail the realism for it, for it to stick out. Um, and one of the great things about having this sort of people getting picked off one by one or disappearing on a submarine is there's no place to hide. Yeah. There's no place to hide on a submarine. That's so cool. You know, there there are there are barely any doors on a right. submarine. Like where are you, where are you going to go? You can't just swim for it, right? Yeah. You're, you're stuck there with whatever it is that's that's taking people out. There's so many it's just it's there's no doors, you can't leave and also it's just perpetually dark, right? Like you're Perpe Yeah. So that's I mean there are no windows. You can't see outside right. obviously. Um that's probably is, for the not, best. <laughs> I can't yeah. even imagine like <laughs> the ocean freaks me out. Yes, especially the deep ocean where there are like super weird creatures and 
Like when Absolutely. People were talking about the submarine stuff. I was like, please stop telling me about it. <laughs> like, I can't, <laughs> I can't even, the pressure, like all of it, just. Um, one interesting fact that I will, I'll, I'll stop talking no, about please. submarines after this, yeah. but uh, one thing I found out was that life on a submarine is so terrible and you're so cramped and you don't see the sun for up to three months that the, they have to make sure that they have like world-class chefs That's making amazing. the food on a submarine so that there's something to look forward that, to, to. to prevent people from just going mad. There's like something good to look forward to. And so they have these incredible meals on yeah. a submarine, like uh, unlike any other part of the armed services yeah i guess that's the trade-off if you're like into food and don't need personal space but that is still like it's a it's a lot and yeah i don't i mean I, i've never been in the army god bless anyone who can do all of that like i'm just a scary cat i think i think that well, stuff like I said, is scarier than ghosts to me <laughs> well i i i just i know i'm not cut out for it i just i'm not mm -mm. Mm -mm. even if the food is great on a submarine like i like good food but i also do like personal space yeah so you know i if the trade-off is that uh i have to eat crappy food in order to have personal space i'll i'll take that trade-off right right yeah and in general like i i've gone my little brother i'm from the woods i'm from the poconos originally so like my brother will take me to these places and i've had to like climb down a manhole before and I what? had a full blown I didn't know I was scared until I tried it and I had a full blown panic attack. <laughs> like oh I was God. like I can't do I thought I was gonna get stuck because the way the manholes are is like the first like six feet is like cement. It's like a cement and then a circle. You do you know what I mean? Anyway. Yes. It, yes it's it's like a tube. You're crawling down into a tube. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't love so it. was this going to be like some weird sewer tour? Where, what were you doing climbing down a manhole? It, it was a viaduct. So it oh. starts as a manhole. It's actually, some people would be more afraid of the next part because it's a ladder. And then once you get through the tube, it's just wide open and mm. you still have like a ton of like feet, like a, I don't know, like 50 feet to climb down or something of this little. I would, I would be wary. I would definitely be wary of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and my brother, my doofus brother is like, it's fine. My friends do it all the time. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to die. I'm going to die here <laughs> today. I'm going to have to call the fire department to this viaduct. And it's going to be a whole thing. I'm going to be in the news. I was like, that. that's what was going through my head the whole time. Um, <laughs> so you mentioned you were from the Poconos. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what crosses everyone's mind uh, when they hear the Poconos is beautiful Mount Airy Lodge. Oh, yeah. Those old commercials. Mount Airy. Yeah. The, the, honey, the honeymoon <laughs> hotels. Is that, that's one of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've enjoyed, Cause we have so many abandoned ones now. Um, it's, oh, wow. it's crazy. Yeah. They're that's super creepy. It's so spooky. It's really cool, but yeah, it's a bummer. <laughs> People aren't <laughs> vacationing in the Poconos anymore, unfortunately for their honeymoon. Well, do you, are you ever um, interested? I'm not saying I'm interested, but are you ever interested in like doing, a seance in one of those abandoned hotels i would love to so i grew up oh in a haunted God. house and i would love to have a medium come to my my personal house like my hometown house but my mom will not let that happen so i'm wow. like gonna try to sneak one in one day probably but um but did yeah. you ever find out who the ghost was in your house we think it's the person who built it and so my house is mm. pre-revolutionary war it's it was wow. yeah it's over 200 years old um, so we think it's like some colonial ghost just hanging out and we live really peacefully with them. Like they're not scary to us. 
that must be it must be so strange to be a ghost from the 1700s or or earlier and and like looking around the the house now and being like what is why are they staring at that screen with pictures on it like what are the, what are they doing i would pay an unnamed number of money like any amount you name it to see the ghost's reaction to us and also to hearing britney spears <laughs> like any number I, that's all i want is to see them be like what is anyway that this is a whole well, other <laughs> <laughs> if, if it turns out that ghosts are not just an energy left behind if they really are the person in spirit form he was he's probably heard britney spears by now absolutely and that's so wonderful <laughs> i'm so happy about it <laughs> especially if they're haunting our house we were big britney spears people so amazing um, but yeah so i do want to ask these last questions i'll try to keep it quick though and this oh, one sure. is just for me because comedy is a lot about tension um mm. and i feel like sometimes anyway any advice for writers that want to include twists in their stories uh, it can be tough um, mm -hmm. because you as the writer know the twist is coming, but you don't want to telegraph it too much to the reader. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it has to make sense. It can't be out of left field. Like there should be little clues leading up to the, the twist that they don't necessarily pick up on at the time. So it's tough. It's definitely a balancing act. And I can see how in comedy and what you do, um, that's super important because it's, it's yeah. all about it's all about setup and then sort of maybe twisting uh, expectation, right? You don't to, want to, to telegraph. Exactly. You don't want to tele telegraph it. Right. Yeah. So it's tough. It's tough. Um, what writers have the benefit of that maybe comics don't um, is the ability to rewrite. Mm -hmm. um, and you can't really rewrite a joke when you're on stage telling it. Right. Uh, but um, if I've written uh, something, let's say I've written a story that really relies on this cool twist at the end. I can go back and make sure that I'm not telegraphing it. Mm -hmm. And I can also go back and add little maybe foreshadows or, or, or hints towards it that are really subtle so that when somebody reads that story a second time, they say, oh, I see now mm. how this happened. So you, start... you can do that on stage. No. Well, usually what you do is you uh, bomb a joke and you go, oh, well, definitely you guys all knew what I was going to say before I said it. And then you just try it again to a new crowd yeah. that doesn't know. So yeah. that's kind of our version of that. Um, but like for you, so joke writing, you can either start with the premise, you know, like a setup and then have bang, 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 like five different surprise endings. For horror writing, would you say that you know the ending? Like you start with the ending and then you work your way back? I don't necessarily start with the ending, but I I better know how it ends right. by, you know, while I'm writing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but that's just my, my uh, process. I know plenty of writers, good writers, who write by the seat of their pants. Uh, they may have an idea, hmm. but what they're basically doing is they're coming up with a character and they're following that character. And it's sort of stream of consciousness. It's sort of like, let's see where this goes. And then they can, once they have a first draft, they can sort of whittle it down to make it make sense. Got it. Um, but I need, I'm somebody who needs That's an outline. I so I do need yeah. to know how it ends. I don't always stick to the outline unless it's uh, it's something that's been approved by the publisher. Mm -hmm. If they say, then I have to stick to it. Mm -hmm. But generally I write a very detailed outline before. I mean, it's it's so detailed, it may as well be considered like a draft. Right. It's, you know, my outlines are like 40 pages long. Wow. They'll include like sample dialogue and actions and descriptions. Um, and then by the time I'm actually writing the actual draft, 
sometimes I get to a scene where it's like, so, you know, Joe says this in this scene and Joe's not in that scene now, you know, or that, <laughs> or, or that piece it. of information, right. that piece of information that he was going to imply, you know, impart has already been imparted earlier. Mm -hmm. um, but it still really helps me to know. Sure. Otherwise yeah. I'm staring at a blinking cursor. Right. Uh, and I'm like, well, now what happens? Where are we going? You know? No, yeah. I, yeah. I, I need that. I need to know. That's awesome. Yeah. I think that's the same with joke writing. I, I usually start with the punchline or the thing that makes me laugh and then work out, but I would love to like do more of it. So like for us, it's like you, you just keep going. Like you want to get as many jokes as possible from one setup. So anyway, this is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so it's no, like, that's super interesting. Yeah. You want like a bunch of surprises, right? Like you'll say, and then you, you're like driving a car all over the, the place, but um but that's what I love because I love horror because I think it's so similar to comedy we're both mm. doing that we both just want to like get people to to be surprised and for you yes. the surprise is like ah like I'm scared and for me it's just it's laughter but we're all create and that's why like when I watch horror movies and things like that I get very frustrated because I understand the creation and release of tension and mm -hmm. the rule for mm -hmm. comedy is the more tension you create the bigger the surprise or the twist or whatever it has to be and my biggest gripe with movies is I'm loving the tension I'm like you're doing a great job and then there's no release and I don't know if it's on purpose but it drives me crazy <laughs> and that's just me <laughs> but but yeah so I think that there is a very close connection between humor and horror because a laugh and a scream are both a release of tension right Right. Absolutely. So I um I know people who like horror fans who are like, I don't want any humor in my horror. Mm. I just like my horror like straight up, whatever. But I love horror comedies. I do too. I adore horror comedies. Uh movies like an American Werewolf in London or uh, Return of the Living Dead, or even Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, which For is sure. one of my favorite movies. I love the mixing of the two because it, it in my mind it works really well because they're both about the release of of tension and it's so there's suspense a joke there's a yeah. suspense and a joke just like there's suspense and horror and it's so fun when because with horror your brain leads yourself to the ah scary release right so to me it's mm -hmm. like such a reward in my brain whatever part of it when i you know it's leading you to an ah and then it's a funny i'm like oh double the anyway <laughs> double the surprise <laughs> it makes me so happy so yeah i like comedy in my i'm heart. sure our brains release some sort of chemical at that moment <laughs> yeah. right? i'm like this is all this feels right everything is right in the world yeah that's how it feels <laughs> um okay so do you have any advice for future writers in general people getting started or um just things you've learned oh yeah sure um the biggest piece of advice i learned uh, and the best piece of advice I learned is to finish what you start. Even if you if you start writing a story <laughs> I'm bad at or that. you start writing a novel, mm -hmm. well, you, you know, you have to, because a, a publisher isn't going to come knocking on your door and say, right. do you have anything for me? Right. And then you're like, oh, I have these three pages. No, you, you have to finish it to send to them, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So that they can decide if they want to publish it. But also just for your own sense of accomplishment, I would say definitely finish a story even if you're not happy with it even if you feel like ah eh, this could be better you have a chance to make it better right on that second draft um and to me i know everyone's process is different but to me the first draft is always the hardest 
And when I get to polish things up and try to make them make sense, punch up the dialogue, all that stuff, that's that to me is the real, the real fun part, the, the real magic part of writing. That's really cool. And that is, uh, cause I try again, comedy, you're not just comedian, like you're not just stand up anymore. So I've like started a lot of stuff and I have finished some things, but not as much as I'd like, well, you know? I think it's, I, I think the rules for comedy are different. If you know a joke's not going to work, maybe it's, maybe you should abandon it for one that does. Yeah. For us, they say we should kill our babies. And I, for one, wait, way too long <laughs> to kill them. <laughs> I like, you know, I'm like, no, but it's fine. They they say kill your babies in in prose writing as well, and I, I think that is a uh, um, it's a misunderstood term. I think people think like you know you should, you should get rid of things that you like in your writing, and that's not what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really just if it's not working, even if you love it, it has to go, and that's uh, super important and super hard to learn. Mm -hmm. and, and if I had any any other bit of writing advice to give to anyone, it is perseverance stick with it mm -hmm. you're not going to be Stephen King or James Patterson right out of the gate you know it, it takes a while to learn it's like any other muscle you have to keep doing it to make it grow and to get better um, and I'm sure it's the same with comedy like nobody okay. comes up with a killer joke their first day when they try to write comedy right no and if they do they're doomed because they'll be chasing that high for a long time after like you have to hope you don't because that's that's horrible for your self-esteem for the rest of you know but yeah exactly it's and stand-up so so interesting because it's kind of like it's like a book or a movie but we do get we get the opportunity that we can evolve the joke forever like I have jokes I've been doing yeah. for years and they're just like so big and so different and they still have like the inklings of the past, but then they're just, it's really fun. Being creative is fun, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Absolutely. Can I ask you a question? <laughs> yeah, of course. Do you have a favorite stand-up comedian? Oh man, I have so many. I really like Maria Bamford. Have you ever seen Maria? She's great. She's so funny. And she's her, just she's the way so she is on the oh. stage is so funny. And I loved her Netflix show, Lady Dynamite. I wish there had been like too. 20 more seasons. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I really enjoy her. I really like Margaret Cho. I think she's awesome. Mm -hmm. um, I I really like, oh, what's his name? He's like a guy from the South. Nate Bargatze. Have you ever seen? No, I don't know that Nate person. No. He's like, so Nate, he's really good because he's the type of person where, so you talking about like projecting or you know telepath like you can't even tell when <laughs> where are the setups and like that you're going into a punchline already it's just so natural and conversational and just so funny and that's really that's the other part of stand-up that's really hard is like you could be a great writer but the second you go on stage if it sounds written the audience is like meh like they want you so to be true. a magician they want you to act like you thought of it so Damn. true i've seen mike i've seen mike Berbiglia a couple of times and he's very much a monologue comic mm -hmm. uh and it, it feels so natural he doesn't feel like he's reading off a script yeah he's awesome i really like i like anthony jocelyn i like sometimes i like meaner comics too like it's weird maria bamford <laughs> but then i need the other side i need like anthony jesselnik to like even me out because it's it is that release like sometimes you're like oh that was really fun you know yeah 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 so if you do you know who Anthony <laughs> Jessel he's like one line I do, okay yes. okay I wasn't sure I was yes. like he's yes yeah anyone listening if you don't um I don't agree with him <laughs> but I do think his no, jokes well, are his, funny 
his shtick is that is is pretending to be the worst person in the world right, right. like so and it's yeah I, I doubt i doubt that's coming from his heart yeah. i think it's more no a character on his podcast he's basically like he seems really cool but who knows <laughs> <laughs> so we're almost at the end of our time um i did want to ask if there's anything that you'd want to mention or talk about that maybe i didn't cover or ask so far I don't think so. I think I think I think we've covered it all. You you were very kind oh. to let me plug some of my books. Oh no, uh, this I really is so appreciate fun. that. And I had so much fun yeah. talking with about weird mystical craziness. <laughs> yeah. I think you should get into spells. It sounds like you're pretty powerful. But I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> I should I should pick it up again yeah. and become like, you know, the the occult ruler of America. <laughs> <laughs> so I could be like, listen to the podcast. I knew him before he was our overlord. I knew him before he became our occult overlord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being a guest. You, this was so much fun. If you ever want to come on again and talk about any, we could do stuff about cryptids since you love monsters so much. So I would love to tell you about like different weird cryptids because there's some weird ones. I, I would come back anytime, Meg. This was awesome. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank. Oh, wait, before we leave. Yeah. Where can people find you? Oh, um, nicholaskaufman.com is my website. Don't forget there are two N's at the end of Kaufman. If you go to Nicholas Kaufman with one N, I don't know what you'll find. <laughs> uh, hopefully just a pic pictures of cats, but who knows? <laughs> um, I'm also on uh, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Blue Sky. Uh, I have a Twitter account, but I'm not on there anymore very much. Yeah, same. Because Twitter is weird right now mm -hmm. <clears throat> but yeah you can find me all over the place and uh i'm happy to to talk with people on social media oh, great what's which one well. is the best one like where that you would say people get the most like up to date find me on facebook, facebook. uh that's okay. that's probably the best one that's the one i'm on the most awesome. uh instagram i'm just scrolling through my friends pictures and hitting like without even really paying much attention yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> yep what i'm gonna do immediately after this podcast <laughs> hit instagram. but Thank you so much. This was so much fun. <laughs> the pleasure was all mine. Thank you for having me on. Real Chills is produced by Meg Getz and Alyssa Chaskowski. The show is edited by Dan Getz, theme music by Sam Williamson, and artwork by Buffy the Design Slayer. Subscribe where you get podcasts and follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Real Chills Podcast. Slide into those DMs with your true scary stories. Real Chills Podcast is a member of the Wasted Robot Network. This has been a presentation from the Wasted Robot Network. For more information and links to other shows, please visit www.wastedrobotrecords.com slash podcasts.